Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. Intuit, Blubber, Oddman, Tweak! Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Well done, Russia. Not words you hear often from political commentators. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl. That'd be about it. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Anglophies. I am Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. She's triumphantly returned. Thank God. Yeah, you can get rid of me that easily. It was going to take more than vampires. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, they're, they're Swedish vampires. Swedish As... vampires with Scottish accents. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> that was the least weird thing of the evening. <laughs> and the the topic for this episode is summer blockbuster movies and why they're awesome and why they're a thing and pretty much why they're awesome and why you should go see Pacific Rim. Yes, you listening to this podcast right now go see pacific rim if you've seen it already see it again again. i'm gonna yeah but before we get into that kaylee talk to us more about the swedish vampires with the scottish accents (laughs) it makes sense i swear so i occasionally review theater for a website called female arts and the dundee rep which is the nearest theater to me put on a production in conjunction with the National Theatre of Scotland, which was an adaptation of Let the Right One In, the Swedish vampire novel, which then became a movie, which was then remade by the Americans. And I got the chance to review it, so I took along my sister. You get free drinks in the break if you're a reviewer. They suck up. It's beautiful. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. Although I seem to be in the minority of critics and thinking that. I thought it was a interesting adaptation but didn't really add anything that I hadn't already seen in the I've only seen the American movie I've not seen the Swedish one but I've read the book um the fact that they all had Scottish accents I found strangely it worked the idea of the sort of isolated council estate with these lonely kids it didn't need to be specifically Swedish and the way that they put it together reminded me an awful lot of the area that I grew up in so that confirmed a lot of fears about the area I grew up in certainly there were vampires (laughs) of course there were (laughs) Um, I I found it to be very cinematic in the way that the director, John Tiffany, who directed Black Watch, which is probably the most famous play to come out of National Theatre of Scotland, it felt too like he was trying too hard to make the movie and just stick it on a stage. And I felt like that was just, it was a little stagnant, except for the final 15 minutes, which are brilliant. Uh, I was also quite um, lucky because I am friends with one of the women who worked on the fake blood for the stage production <laughs> so I got to talk to her before the show started and was, there was not that much fake blood actually there must have been about a pint that was it I was expecting much more it's far more red lights flashing and then just people falling onto the ground spluttering like they're dead so I believe it is going to be going to I think it's going to London actually later on and it might tour so I would check it out because I did enjoy it and it's not often you get to see horror on the stage but if you don't have the money for that, just go pick up the book because the book is truly brilliant. Let me ask something. Uh, I know there is a, a secret to the Ellie, right? That's how it's pronounced. The Eli. It was, is it Eli? Um, I wasn't sure because it was Swedish and I, I haven't seen the movies. So I was always saying Ellie in the head. But um, the, the vampire's character, there's a secret in the book that the American movie, of course, the being American Puritans, changed. Which version does the stage follow, the stage adaptation follow? 
it mainly sticks to the book, which, but then okay. again, from what I understand, the book and both the movie adaptations are very, very similar. There's not a whole lot of deviations. The, the sort of twist that you're talking about, about Eli, that is in the the, the stage show, but it's only really briefly touched upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very obvious what Eli is hinting at, but you don't see it in the way that I believe is shown in the Swedish movie, but I haven't seen it, so I couldn't confirm that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was handled pretty tastefully, actually. The actors were brilliant. It's a really hard role to play of being this, you know, this young girl. I think in the play, she's played by an older actress, but she's still, I think, about 12 years old in appearance. Mm-hmm. So playing someone who looks so young and innocent, but is, you know, world-weary and 200 years old. So I give her huge credit for that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was such a cool idea. It was like, well, what's the National Theatre of Scotland going to put on? Yeah, Swedish vampires. That makes sense. I can't <laughs> wait to see what they do next. Yeah, <laughs> Hunger so Games with real blood. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I might, I might get to see what they're doing if they're doing an anything at the Edinburgh Festival this year because I'm actually getting to go down to Edinburgh next month to be a, a, a proper full time reviewer for the Skinny Magazine. So, yay! Nice. Yay. Professional credentials. We're all very proud of you. We are proud of you. <laughs> I'm mainly gonna... in it for the free food. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's that's the only reason most critics are in anything is they will get free food and drink. <laughs> Yeah, that's the main reason my sister came along with me. She says, I, I imagine. I drink. Of course, I'm coming. If you need a critic to, you know, publish a favorable review of you in the paper to make it, then you're gonna ply them with a lot of alcohol for free. <laughs> that that is a logic that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And this might be why all of my young adult book reviews are so low. I don't get free anything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Disclaimer: That is not actually the case. I do not get funds or any sort of exchange for any of my reviews and my reviews are completely unbiased thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) so that was uh why kaylee wasn't there to join us last time but she's back and we have all seen pacific rim this time we all did our research purposes homework that's right yep and we were all very happy to do so because idris elba Idris Elba. <laughs> Kaylee and made a this bunch of blonde white dudes. <laughs> Kaylee made this hilarious comment to me on uh well, to all of us on Twitter before she went to see it. She she mentioned that she seen it in 2D because uh, Idris Elba will look good in any amount of dimensions. <laughs> Which is true. Very true. He true. was primarily the reason my grandmother went to see it with me. I'm dying to know if your grandmother liked it. She did, actually. I mean, my grandmother is quite the blockbuster fan. Her favorite movie of all time is Alien. So this was right up her alley. But then she didn't turn around. She's one of the people that talks in the cinema. So every now and then she'd turn to me and go, oh, that's quite good, wasn't it? It was really loudly so everyone can hear. But it was quite good, which is why before we set up to record, I opened up all of our research links, including Box Office Mojo, which is in the news or not that good and we're all really upset by this uh it's reporting at just under 15 million right now which is way under the about 30 it needs to hit by the end of the weekend what is wrong with you people why aren't you seeing this movie oh see this movie grown-ups too really this movie is everything you ever wanted as a kid playing with godzilla toys it really is Oh, I, I will never... It's very, very painful to hear... You continually hear arguments about how 
audiences want to see something new and original that isn't a franchise, that isn't a sequel, that isn't a remake. So if something comes along, it is derivative of a very specific genre, but it's not based on anything else. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to see it because they would rather watch an Adam Sandler sequel that is universally derived. Yes. I mean, Grown Ups 2. Repeat that in your head over and over again. Mm-hmm. Grown Ups 2. Yes. With Adam Sandler and a bunch of other people who should know better. And the other big movies of the summer that have opened so far, Iron Man 3, which I love, don't get me wrong. Man of Steel, which I liked. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, which I'm uh, so conflicted about. <laughs> um, World War Z, which we're not even discussing. <laughs> And the lone fucking ranger, ranger, which we're gonna discuss, are all sequels or reboots of something. And White House Down wasn't bad. I'll mention it later because I have seen it. Okay. Um, but I think it gets drowned out by just the scale of all the sci-fi. Um, In the top ten on Box Office Mojo of the summer, seven of them are sequels. Or part of a franchise. Fast and the Furious mm-hmm. 6. Six people. Six. I, Let I, that I can't be Fast, yeah, but Fast and the Furious, Furious <laughs> franchises. I'm just going to. I just let it. Let it be what it is. Because. I don't I can't know. I grudge the Fast and Furious franchise. Because it clearly knows what it is. And it does it well. It has no airs and graces about it. And it's got the rock in it. So. You know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that. Um. Kaylee just said that of the the top 10 on box office mojos, seven are franchise movies because of the three that are not, two are book adaptations. And it reminded me that I very recently remember seeing this, oh, somewhere in the news, some reviewer mentioned it, how really books are now one of the few ways in which um, the movie industry gets revitalized. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few uh, channels through which non-franchise original ideas enter the cinema world. Yeah, but I mean, with The Great Gatsby, you can say it's a book adaptation or you can say it's a remake. You can go either way on that. Well, it's th- like that with every... Is every Pride and Prejudice a remake of the previous one? You know, it's... it's. Uh... Yeah. I prefer to think of The so Great good. Gatsby movie as some sort of weird social experiment. <laughs> Well, which I haven't yes. seen, but my sister, who's a great Gatsby fan, really liked it. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. There was, I mean, it's it's a Baz Luhrmann film, and you can tell it's a Baz Luhrmann film from the opening shot. And there were a number of times that I just found myself going, "Oh, Baz, <laughs> oh, Baz," <laughs> and I walked away from it feeling kind of like. Like I didn't care, and I'm not sure. I I've never read the book. I know, I know, right? Fake something else to add to my list of fake things. Um, and I was trying to figure out if there was something about the movie that left me just kind of feeling a little apathetic by the end, or the story. And I still haven't figured that out. The issue of the story is it's very heavy on metaphor, and mm-hmm. metaphor is pretty hard to translate to film, yeah. especially if your style is Baz Luhrmann, where excess is the limit, because it 
it was it was either going to work or it wasn't. My sister said it didn't entirely work, but she thought Leonardo DiCaprio was the perfect Jay Gatsby. So mm. I, I, will I link- kind of agree, actually. In my head, he looks and acts pretty much like Jay Gatsby. So yeah, I will link in the show notes to Anne Helen Peterson. Anne Helen Peterson's uh, article in which she uh, explains why Leo is Gatsby in real life. If you think of the Oscars, Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying so hard to get the approval of <laughs> It is quite brilliant. <laughs> oh, poor Leo. <sighs> Makes far too much sense. <laughs> now, we do have a whole list of summer blockbusters to run down, but I think we want to probably start with Pacific Rim because we have so much gushing to get through. Exactly. And I'd like to start my... Uh, there's I, I pretty much liked all of the elements of production if you pick them apart. But I think I want to start with a brief note about the music. <laughs> um, be- the, the composer is Raman Jawari. He's responsible for Game of Thrones. And um, the first Iron Man movie. The first Iron Man movie, Person of Interest. So I, I don't know if up and coming is a good word because uh, the list of things he's worked on that are big isn't that big yet, but they've all met with critical acclaim. So he certainly established a name. Mm-hmm. And I think he did a great job here. And my only complaint is that the moment I came home, I looked up the official soundtrack because I really wanted the song that was playing over the closing credits, sung by a Ron Perlman's daughter and featuring Riza, uh, Blake Perlman. And it's not there. It's not on the soundtrack. And I want it so bad. And I can't find anywhere on the internet it might be sold, so I'm just waiting for it to appear. <laughs> Yeah, I woke. I I saw it Friday night, and I woke up Saturday morning, and I was like, "No, no, I need this soundtrack right now." So I got it from the iTunes store before I even got out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the theme. It's it's a good song, you know. Just like everything else, the music contributes to that whole. It's really good. Yeah. Um, you know what small detail now I loved about this movie is I mentioned earlier, you know, it's kind of everything you wanted as a little kid out of stuff like Godzilla, but it's also anybody who was an anime fan of uh Neon Genesis Evangelion, Gundam, any of the big mecha animes, this is exactly what you saw in your head. I'm watching the movie and you know, they're in the bunker with all the, the mecha, and that is exactly how I envisioned all of the bunkers in Evangelion. There's something about the grime on the walls and the general set design that just felt right. Mm-hmm. The people who made this movie really knew how to make it look right. Yeah. I was so I was so there, for that. There was one critic who said that this movie is like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on very expensive acid. To which pretty much Everyone. The, everyone in the on the internet that I saw was like, "How does that not sound like a movie? I'm going to see eleven billion times." Exactly. <laughs> that sounds like exactly what it has to be. So, I came home and I started looking up everything about this this movie and its production, and I now have a whole bunch of Guillermo del Toro quotes. But here is the one that's most brilliant. Uh, he was asked about, you know, the production, and he mentioned that, uh, so the pilots in the movie, for those who haven't seen it, the, um, the trailer, I don't think, made it exactly clear, because I thought maybe they were controlling the robots remotely, but no, they're actually in a cockpit. 
Mm-hmm. So when the robot is being tossed around by the monster, the pilots inside do feel some impact. So apparently they built a stage and like harnesses in which the actors would actually get tossed around. So it was physically actually quite hard on the actors. Um, and Guillermo de Toro in an interview said the only one of the actors that didn't break was the woman, Rinko Kikuchi. She never complained. That's why guys never give birth. They're crybabies. We would be extinct as a species. But fuck that. <laughs> Rinko never broke. I asked Rinko her secret and she said, quote, I think of gummy bears and flowers. <laughs> and Guillermo de Toro says, and that's what I try to do in my life now. <laughs> oh, gummy bears. She's adorable. <laughs> That is perfect. She's in a giant robot, and to get through it, she thinks of gummy bears and flowers. That's amazing. Um, I kind of want. There's something I've been that's been kicking around in my head, and I want to see if you guys agree. Now, we've mentioned. Uh, was it you, Raiden O'Kelly, who made this joke that it's Idris Elba surrounded by blonde white guys? Yeah. Right. And the blonde white guy. <laughs> is ostensibly the the hero of the movie. But didn't you really feel that Mako, Rinko Kikuchi's character, was the real protagonist of the movie? I found her much more interesting. I don't know if the oh, focus yeah. was entirely more on her. No, I also that... appreciated the fact that it was a film where the hero, the, the team that is assembled to save the day was not made up entirely of American white guys. It was international. Because you never see that. You always see, we're going to save the world, and it's like Independence Day. Exactly. The, the white so guys were international English, here. The English guy Idris Elba. There was the Japanese woman. There was is it Charlie Hunman? Is that what his name is? There was an Australian, like the Australian team, and then the Russian team and Chinese team. And the yeah. Australian guy is played by a guy from EastEnders, which I find <laughs> yes. kind of strange. He's now in True Blood as well. I believe he's trying to get into stake, uh, Jason Statham's pants. Was the Australian guy not a Hemsworth brother? There are so many to choose from. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe they were busy. I don't know. Five of them were busy. But, um, well, when I say I felt like Maka was the protagonist, you're right. (laughs) The movie didn't treat her like the protagonist, but I felt the story would have been more natural if the movie had just accepted her and not the blonde white guy as the the protagonist. Yeah. Um, I was was pretty, just to get back to the blonde white guy, the... The American dude and the young Australian dude were both blonde white guys, and I kept getting them mixed up. <laughs> Which yeah. was kind of annoying. <laughs> Dye somebody's hair, please. Come on. Or just have them be naked. One of them had scars. Yes, exactly. I, I would accept that, those abs, as a substitute for dyed hair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the characters are kind of stock characters that you'd expect in a movie like this mm. but I feel like the acting sort of elevated it to the point where you're actually interested in them particularly mm. someone like Idris Elba who may be the only man on the planet that can sell the line we're cancelling the apocalypse mm-hmm. it's true there is that actually takes skill. a very specific quote from Guillermo de Toro which touches on why the characters are basically tropes um, Del Toro said, and this is a direct quote from an interview, this is the only movie where I've left the shaping of the story to the editing room. We knew what happened around the fights, but I shot about an hour more of material than is in the movie. Every character had a bigger arc, the characters were more complex. But I was really trying to strike the balance where I said, we cannot pretend this is Ibsen with monsters and giant robots. I cannot pretend I'm doing a profound reflection on mankind. There are a lot of characters, we had about 10 characters on screen, so I said, let me try to get each character to its minimal requirements to have an arc that has a beginning 
beginning, a middle, and an end, and a payoff. And if you think about it, even the scientists, um, you know, they hate each other, but they learn to work together. And those are the little arcs that are conducive to the same idea, which is we can do this together. Mm -hmm. So he very specifically made that conscious choice to edit the characters down to their basic bare bones components. And, and I was fine with that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was no, not it totally worked. I mean, wanting, you know, I didn't want August Osage County out of this. I was fine. I, the only stipulation I had, I didn't want um, Rinko Kikuchi's character, Mako and, uh, is it Raleigh? Ra- Raleigh. Raleigh. I didn't Raleigh. want them to end up romantically involved. That was the only stipulation I had. I felt like that was just too predictable, even for a movie like this. And they didn't, re- I mean. And they didn't. They just have this sort of like hug at the end which is a completely understandable hug there's no yeah, kiss in the sunset or anything yeah exactly yeah. They, they had some maybe there's maybe one line which indicates they might feel something for each other but it's all real like you said it's just kind of human connection it doesn't detract from the story it doesn't well, go given the deep. connection these characters have to have in order to do what they do it made sense mm-hmm. so i was fine with that and what I'm seeing for the three of us, I think, is kind of the general reaction. Everybody noticed that the characters were bare bones, but everybody seems to agree that that's, uh, that's what this movie needed anyway. Yeah. I mean, I hope that when the DVD comes out that we get to see more of the expanded arc, just because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. But the movie itself didn't need it. I mean, we don't go to summer blockbusters for Ibsen with monsters and robots. That's mm-hmm. not what they're for. Mm-hmm. They're and... support a movie of Ibsen with monsters and robots, by the way. If anyone wants to take a swing at that. Right, right. I... <laughs> Having said that, sorry, this is really ridiculous. The very first proper play I ever saw was actually a reimagining of Ibsen's Pure Gint, in which cl- included trolls on quad bikes. <laughs> wow. And that was another one by Scottish Theatre. We are knocking it out of the weird park. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone so... needs a niche. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is one thing that uh, I I guess I didn't really consciously notice that I uh, saw later reading the interviews is that Del Toro specifically said um, that when you see the monsters destroying the city, the cities are empty. He's I did, he didn't want people in the cars or in the buildings because he said when you were a little kid and watching um, the Godzilla movie, you just felt this glee uh, watching the big monster fall into a whole block of a city, and you don't want to have to worry about oh, but people died because that's not what that movie's there for. It's there to entertain you with the size of the monsters. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, this isn't the monsters aren't real human drama. You know, there's never going to be a copycat destroying a city because the monster did it in the movie. So he felt really, he wanted to be just really free to gleefully swing boats around and destroy whole skyscrapers. Exactly. Unlike Zack Snyder in Man of Steel. I mean, there's so many <laughs> comparisons you can make between the two movies one of which is Del Toro did a really excellent job of making each act manageable. I did not feel climax fatigue at the end of Pacific Rim because <laughs> the final battle didn't go on for 20 fucking minutes. Yeah. Like, have you guys seen Man of Steel? Yes. I know exactly no. what I mean. Uh, <laughs> there is a bit of, can I just say, climax fatigue at the end of Pacific Rim? <laughs> okay, that, 12-year-old that moment over. a completely different kind of climax fatigue. <laughs> 12-year-old moment over. But yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Another comparison, and we'll come back to Man of Steel, but 
another thing the Pacific Rim did right with those battles is something that Michael Bay always gets wrong with Transformers, which he butchered. Um, when you watch, when you do it wrong, like he does, and you see a big battle, you can never tell what's where, which what actually happens. What actually happens in Pacific Rim? You have the huge monster and the huge robot, but you can always tell what's going on in the battle. You mm-hmm. get to see the entire monster. You see the entire robot. And when they're fighting, you're not confused. Yes. Exactly. Del Toro it's does like... brilliant action scenes. He always has. If you've ever seen Hellboy 2, the mm-hmm. final scene, which involves these sort of giant robots, with, robot creatures with uh, Hellboy having a fight with someone, it's beautifully choreographed. You always know what's happening. There's no you know, shaky cam sickness for the viewer. I think that people need to get given more credit for that because especially with someone like Michael Bay, where you just see nothing but giant swinging metal testicles. Exactly. (laughs) There's a brilliant review of um, Man of Steel, I think it's on NPR, where it refers to it as a bloodless massacre of concrete. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Only you know those buildings are full. Yeah. Because there was no time to evacuate the city. So the final battle clearly killed thousands. And yet Superman seems entirely nonplussed by this, from what I understand. Yeah, but he can't because that one guy that made him feel sad. Yeah. Yeah, when he actually had to look in the eyes of somebody who was about to be killed by Zod, then he was sad. So man, <laughs> nice Del Toro has a man of steel. I think that what I Del Toro does is exactly what Kaylee said is he choreographs his fight sequences. And he makes them logical. Like, if you want to make a fight sequence seem real, there needs to be a logical progression of movements. This is true in fight choreography. There are a few novelists I know who literally will choreograph their fight scenes before they actually write them. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who do the best jobs. And choreographing is just makes it all better and makes it all flow visually because there's a logic to it. (laughs) And I know that I'm saying logic in Pacific Rim and that does sound weird, but even within the illogical, the, the failed logic of the story, which like, if you think about it too hard, like there's no way that these, these mechas, these Yankers, should work but they do and they work within their own logic mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah is that logical <laughs> well, i think that's one of the issues that the thing that differentiates del toro from snyder's they they may both be fanboys of their respective material del toro clearly loves this you know sort of japanese genre and Snyder, for all of his faults, he clearly likes comic books. The issue is Del Toro knows how to distance himself from the material enough to not just go, wow, this is cool, and do you know what I should throw in now? This and this! Because that's one of the issues that Snyder did with Watchmen, which I generally don't mind, but clearly he really needed to be taken away from that material a little further. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the issue with Man of Steel, and also I think that the thing with Man of Steel is it's following in the footsteps of Christopher Nolan, who entirely redefined what we think of as a superhero blockbuster, which mm-hmm. is, for better or worse, worse grim. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah. Avengers he... has changed that now, <laughs> but um, look at The Dark Knight, I think that's really the benchmark that Snyder was trying to follow in. You know, it's with The Man of Steel, I saw it, 
I don't have that emotional connection of Superman, but I've been watching reviews of people who do. And I think Man of Steel's problem was that it deviated in some ways too far from the material. There's a certain... I find a lot of... um, reviewers who are not the rabbit fans who wanted just to be exactly as was the comic book they just want the spirit to be embodied and it looked like the universal criticism was it might have been a good good movie and i don't care how you what origins you rewrite that's fine but this wasn't the spirit of superman mm-hmm. that in doing the grim dark it lost the ray of hope that superman always was yeah and- i I found Henry Cavill's take on the character really interesting. And I thought that exploring the difficulties of growing up as your powers are coming into into full force to be kind of to be an interesting exploration that I don't really recall. I mean, I'm not really a Superman fangirl or anything, but I don't recall seeing that explored very much. I also did not watch Smallville because Ugh. <laughs> because ugh. um but yeah there is something about man of steel that left me cold and it wasn't just that the the final the three final fights at the end just went one right after the other until you're just like oh my god wrap it the fuck up i have to pee <laughs> Yeah, it, a lot of, I remember when even the trailers came out and a lot of people had the problem with the implication that uh, his Earth father, Pa Kent, would say that, oh yeah, maybe you are supposed to let people die rather than let them see mm. what you are. And <laughs> when the trailers came out, I thought, you know, they do editing for the trailers. Maybe it won't be like that in the movie, but of course it was exactly that in the movie. Yeah. And yeah, what is he supposed to learn about, you know, the 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 quintessential goodness of humanity that humanity is capable of if his own parents are like, nah, you should have let the kids die. Yeah. No. I, mean, I with the added context of I'm trying to keep you safe because I don't know how humanity is going to react when they find out what who and what you are. That made a little bit more sense, but I still didn't like it. It was nice to see Kevin Costner actually acting, though. That was nice. I'm completely bemused by the idea, the the, the basic idea that Superman is someone who has inspired humanity and he is so connected to the basic human decency of humanity, he wants to protect it, yet he spends half an hour pummeling buildings full of people without a second thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I can't get behind Snyder's habit of fetishizing violence. Yes be it really close. There's a scene in Watchmen where uh, Laurie and Night Owl are cornered in an alley and they fight off these thugs and they kill all of these thugs. And that was not in the comic. You know, she breaks a guy's arm out of his you know, skin for yeah. no apparent le- reason. It was just, oh, she this will bring people into emotion. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you were Rorschach, I could have believed that, but you're fucking still Spectre. Yeah. What's Snyder doing next? He's not doing <coughs> the sequel to Man of Steel, is he? I don't know. I'm not sure. To the I Wikipedia's. Think, I know. I don't think um, <laughs> cast and crew have been announced. Uh, speaking of cast and crew announcements, so there, uh, the next James Bond is basically staying put. Everybody who's worked on the on Skyfall is returning. No, uh, Snyder is actually working on Men and Steel too. 
mm. according to IMDb. Alright, and uh, a sequel to 300 is coming out. He's not directing it, but he produced it and wrote it. <sighs> Actually, yeah. oh, that's there's a trailer out for that. I remember. Yes, did I want to say Ava Green? Is that who I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't Lena in it as well? Uh, Lena, oh yeah, well, she's still the queen in that. Eva Green still, is in it. She really needs better film work. Like, <laughs> I know she has serious debts to pay off, but come Does on, she? somebody employ her and something. Yes. Huh. I believe she declared herself bankrupt recently. Oh. oh okay. I really liked her in Dread. I really liked Dread. Anyway. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so that's why when Raiden said, you know, she liked Men of Steel, like, I, it was pretty, and there are parts of it that I really like what they did with Krypton, mm-hmm. um, the designs and, and all that, so there were parts of it that really, that were really nice to see in the big blockbuster, but it wasn't the big wow experience. That we were all kind of hoping for. Yeah. And then there was Star Trek Into Darkness, which, as you said, it was like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> universal reaction there. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing about Star Trek Into Darkness. I, the I love the actors in those characters, playing those characters. I think they're all great. Um, the visuals were all obviously fine, but that script was the weakest thing. Yeah. I've seen come out of Hollywood in so long. I had so many problems with the script. From the fact that let's reset Kirk so he can learn the exact same lesson he learned in movie one. Mm-hmm. With it, you know, even the whole like your father died to save the ship and now you die to save the ship. That even that maps. Yeah. Exactly. Like he hasn't learned that lesson. Not to mention that now you have a script in which you actually they actively forgot the easter egg references they threw into the first movie so they threw them again into the second movie as if they hadn't existed already yeah uh the particular example i always give uh in the first one you have carl urban call out to nurse chapel and Majel roddenberry answers off screen yes doctor uh-huh. in the second one you have uh the blonde scientist character whatever her name was the general's daughter say like oh do you remember my friend christine chapel she's a nurse now she uh-huh. was a nurse in the first movie you already yeah. did that job. How could you forget? It's just and that kind of lack of care with a script. And then to reduce her to just <laughs> another conquest for, um, you know, the big white guy in the lead role who everyone loves. And she's so sort of angered by it, she has to go off to the other end of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, what was the point of being a woman in Star Trek? Because women don't like Star Trek. They're just there to take off their tops in the movie and pose perfectly for it. Yeah. That's right. And we need to have a birth at the beginning of the first movie, because otherwise women won't watch it. <laughs> it was, And I really disliked the whole... Th- um, they had Spock Prime say, you know, you only defeat Khan at great personal cost. But they don't in the movie. Kirk's death has nothing to do with defeating Khan. Yeah, He's already defeated him by that point. That was just, you know, saving the rest of the ship, which is fine. You know, if Kirk was willing to sacrifice himself for his crew, that's all noble. But it has nothing to do with defeating Khan, so the story doesn't even come together. It was such a weak the, script. The final 20 minutes of the movie are a mess. <laughs> they yeah. are. Yeah. It turns into fan then, fiction in certain places. Then, you know, great personal cost, which is immediately nullified. Yeah. <laughs> 
by a triple that doesn't spontaneously by magical blood because there's all this magical magical healing blood is the stupidest plot device it was stupid in heroes it was stupid wherever it was used before heroes and it's stupid here like, you can't just inject somebody's blood and say, ooh, magical healing power. No! It's, oh, it's stupid. Mm. So that that summer blockbuster was a great disappointment to me. Yeah. You know what wasn't a great disappointment? What? Iron Man 3 was amazing. Oh. Robert Downey Jr. carries the that franchise. And, and I mean, I'm not saying it's bad aside from him, but he manages to lift it all up because i think the iron man movies are interesting in that so many scenes is really just him against the green screen and props so really so much more is riding on him than you realize mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and it it was great in iron man 3 that they were able to take him out of the suit for the bulk of the movie so he could actually like be with people he said that was the hardest part to film is the in the scenes where it's it zooms into the mask because in mm-hmm. reality that's him on a chair and the camera's in his face and it's really hard to act. Yeah. <laughs> so I I appreciate it all the more. Uh, the the review I saw of Iron Man three that I think made the best point about it is how it manages to be a sequel to the Avengers and a sequel to Iron Man two at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I was I was prepared to be annoyed and outraged at the Mandarin until we actually got the real story of the Mandarin and then I laughed like a fucking seal. (laughs) Oh, Sir Ben Kingsley. I had off to you because that was great. Whoever came up with that, I think, deserves a lot of kudos. I don't know if we're still on spoiler schedule because it's been, what, two months? It's been exactly two months, uh, but... I guess maybe we won't we won't go too deep into it, but yeah, how they handled the Mandarin and all the fears around the racism of the original character, I think they did a great job. Yeah, unlike Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the amount of shade that um, John Cho has been throwing around the movie in regards to the casting of Khan is beautiful. Oh, I mean, that's the yeah. best thing to come out of Star Trek: The Darkness. It's just the fact that Cho has turned into the sassiest man ever. That's... Yeah. Yeah, he's following in George's footsteps. It's sweet. <laughs> nice. We should link to that because I haven't kept up with that, so I haven't seen it. But I would love to see a link. I think it's on yeah. my Tumblr. I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> so now that we've um, we, we've wandered into the racist waters, do we want to talk about the Lone Ranger? I think we should. Um, I think we're going to have to. Yeah. I have not seen the Lone Ranger. I don't if the Lone Ranger were a better movie, I'd want to see it, but I still wouldn't. But apparently, it's not only is it a racist piece of shit, it's also just a piece of shit. Um, I guess they were hoping to do for Westerns what Pirates of the Caribbean did for pirate, you know, swashbucklers. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, no. Um, I loved the Lone Ranger TV show as a kid. Um, I was big into horses and Silver was very pretty and you know, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and if they had managed to do the Lone Ranger with the same kind of tone 
as the first Pirates of the Caribbean because I thought the, the second one was a hot mess and the third one was just confusing. Um, but I have the soundtracks for all three of them because the music is fantastic. The music is fantastic. Um, <laughs> if they had managed to do that without just making a hot mess of a movie that both didn't make sense and also... Um, and I'm going to link to a review um, by uh, a native person who actually went and watched it. And it's titled, I went to go see the Lone Ranger, so you didn't have to. <laughs> that, like, the entire treatment of Native Americans throughout the entire movie is incredibly problematic. And that's being very generous. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the thing is, in the UK, the Lone Ranger is not a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Western thing isn't really... That's a very American thing. It doesn't really apply here. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can't get over the fact that it's 2013 and we're still pulling this whole, oh, he's 116th Cherokee or something. It's okay. It's part of his nature. He can play Tonto. It's like, well, Barack Obama's half white. You wouldn't have him play a white guy in anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point yeah and I I think that the alleged percentage of Cherokee that Johnny Depp has is considerably smaller than 116th and notice when white people say that they tend to say Cherokee because they can't remember the name of any other yeah, tribe in the country yeah sometimes I feel like I'm the only white person in America who's like no I'm I'm actually all white <laughs> I no, I it it's all I have no there's no Indian princess. Sorry. <laughs> this is the I have a black friend argument all over. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I will link in the show notes because I think some of our listeners would like to see this. Uh Kyle Colgren, who is a reviewer um for the the that guy with the glasses, but he does um kind of art house movies. So in response to The Lone Ranger, he reviewed a, an old film that Johnny Depp was in that dealt with um, kind of Native American and film kind of issues. It's a really interesting watch. So it, it was kind of his, his treatise on why Johnny Depp should have really known better. Yeah. It's a really good review, actually, as well. It's of Dead... Is it Dead Man or by Jim Jarmusch? I, I would say Dead Man, yeah, that's, that sounds right. He also recommends a documentary called Real Engine, which is about portrayals of Native Americans in film, which is on YouTube in its entirety, and mm-hmm. is definitely worth your time. It's only an hour long. And but we'll it's like amazing that. how many very <laughs> prominent white actors have done red face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, what, the acceptable racism? I mean, as he points out in the review, look at Twilight and their casting of their Native American characters. Mm. Right? They pulled the same thing for Taylor Lautner when all the controversy kicked yeah. up. It's like, oh, I looked at my heritage and I'm 132nd. And I, I, I don't know if he said Cherokee, but I did. I think he did pull some tribe out of the bag. Yeah. No, I, th- I thought Taylor Lautner actually is Native. There there was talk about replacing him with somebody. Yeah, there was. was <laughs> a, like a blonde, blue-eyed kid who's like, oh, no, I'm totally part, like... Roanoke, because I'm from Virginia. <laughs> yeah. No. And there was, fortunately, enough actual outcry that stopped that shit. 
Yeah, it's very depressing that the most prominent in, um, incident of actually casting native actors in native roles is the Twilight Saga. <laughs> Look at what you did, America. Yeah. Think about your sins there. Sit in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, say uh... what you want about Dances with Wolves. <laughs> yeah, and we have. And we <laughs> have. Um, they actually did cast Native American actors for the Native American roles. Yeah. Um, and they got the language right. So <laughs> I want to do a little sidebar about Kevin Hollywood casting. About Hollywood casting. Just like a tiny one. But Pacific Rim had quote-unquote Russian characters. And if they hadn't actually specifically been identified, I wouldn't have known because I couldn't understand one line of garbled <laughs> Russian. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how was the Russian? <laughs> it was completely unintelligible. <laughs> and I did love that the Russian lady, with, they're both with their matching bleach blonde hair, that she goes into the robot with her scarlet red lipstick impeccably applied. Oh, yeah. I'm not just for our listeners. I'm not saying this is an equivalent of cross racial casting. It was just a sidebar that reminded me of the Hollywood casting. It was just funny, but what in in some ways the robots were representative of their respective race better because they did actually design each robot so that it would really reflect the country it was from. So the Russian robot was based on Russian tanks. Mm -hmm. So that was the design thing they did well. Unfortunately, I don't think the Lone Ranger can make any such defenses. No. It has no defense. No. Um, I'm glad that the controversy was did go pretty widespread because it's you know far too often it's sort of overlooked as oh this is all okay. But I think it also helps that Lone Ranger is just from all accounts a pretty terrible, really misjudged movie. I mean, it, it's a PG-13 and it features a scene of a guy tearing someone's heart out of their chest and eating it. Mm. Yeah. Love. Plus the okay. <laughs> the massacre of an entire Native American tribe, which Tonto apparently does not react to at all, because he was busy saving his white best friend. At that would the require time. Johnny Depp to put some effort into his acting, something he hasn't <laughs> done since at least two thousand and six. Yeah. Did you hear he's doing Alice in Wonderland too? Fuck me! Are you kidding me? No, he apparently dropped out of doing the movie on Whitey Bulger because they wouldn't pay him $25 million, so he's now going to do Alice in Wonderland 2. Well, the Whitey Bulger movie <laughs> is probably going to be better for it. I don't suppose, you know, it's going to have anything to do with Alice through the looking glass. No. You saw the no. Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland, right? Yes, I have. I'm never going to get that money back. <sighs> yeah, I can get that two hours back either. Why, Mia Visikowska? You, you are so good and so much better than this. Why isn't she doing something else? <laughs> she's doing the new... Um, she's doing a, a, a lesbian movie with um, Kate Blanchett. Mm. I believe it's a Patricia Highsmith novel adaptation. Who did The Talented Mr. Ripley. So She's got in- good indie movies in her. She just d- needs to stay away from Tim Burton. We all still need to see Stoker, which I think is on demand now. So I think that's what I'm doing sometime soon. <laughs> which we talked about. Um... It's funny that on I'm looking at the box office mojo list and in between the Lone Ranger and White House Down, which I am going to mention is After Earth. And has anyone seen that movie? Nope. I mean, some nope. people has. It's on the list, not on the top. That's, no, I was mostly I'm, entertained by the reviews of that one as well. well 
I'm done with M. Night Shyamalan. I'm just done with him. Oh, is that it? Because I didn't realize it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I didn't either. They had to hide it because people are done with him. I just thought it was, a, you know, a, a Will Smith nepotism project, which it is, but I didn't realize he'd got M. Night Shyamalan involved. Is it finally, you know, how long has it been since a Will Smith summer blockbuster didn't do that wasn't really the biggest thing? Because a Will Smith summer blockbuster is an American tradition, let's face it. How well did Men in Black 3 do? Oh, that's true. Hang on a second, I'm going to look. Box off the mojo. Men in, uh, Men in Black 3. I can't seem to... F- oh, men. Men in plural. At least wow, it did do quite well. Did it? Budget of $215 million, it made $624 million. Nice. Mm. Um, a, I don't recall Hancock being that good or that well-received. There were parts of it that I found strange, but I didn't think it was bad. Um, no, worldwide gross six hundred twenty-four million. Yeah, it did. It, it got two twenty-eight domestic, and it only cost one hundred fifty to make, so I think it was fine. Okay. Maybe I just recall people being disappointed in it. I feel like Will Smith is in danger of turn- going to the Johnny Depp syndrome of just getting really lazy and predictable with making these sort of big bombastic movies choices. Because he's capable of so much better. If you've seen Ali, you know the man that can actually mm-hmm. act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with Johnny Depp, who for a long time was one of the most interesting actors in the industry. And now he's just become so predictable. And yeah, apparently but Will Smith seems more interesting to just like, I just want to make movies with my kid now. That's yeah, but how much of that is sort of fatherly, I want to make movies with my kid, and how much of that is him pushing him into making movies and trying to create some sort of, you know, Redgrave-style dynasty of actors? Because... Jaden Smith's relatively charming. He's not that great an actor. No. Mm-hmm. He's fine in The Karate Kid, which is actually a surprisingly decent movie, but I don't think he's anywhere near charismatic enough to hold his own as a lead in a movie like After Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, the After Earth promo tour did get us the greatest moment on any British chat show, uh... which was the great Fresh Prince of Bel-Air moment. So <laughs> I will forgive its sins. Yeah, but the Carlton dance made that the greatest moment. It was yeah. beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> if you actually watch the clip, Bradley Cooper's in the background. It looks like he's the happiest he's ever been in his entire life. <laughs> oh, Bradley Cooper. Oh. And it, and his new boyfriend. <laughs> I love them so much. We will link the gif we're talking about at the show. <laughs> oh, Bradley. Did, did they officially cancel um, Paradise Lost? Or is that still happening? I've heard nothing about it for a very long time. Because I really do still want it to happen. I kind of want Bradley Cooper as the... I don't know. I think it could be good. I don't. My know. mother would watch that. My mom has quite the thing for Bradley Cooper. I do too. It's become something curious. of a running joke on Twitter because she will make these comments about Bradley Cooper and my dad will just go silent and stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned, below After Earth was White House Down. Am I the only one who's seen it? Yes. I haven't seen it. it. It's interesting that these, like I said, these sci-fi movies are now really overshadowing the old school action summer flick. Um, I haven't seen Olympus Has Fallen, so I can't do the comparison of the two, you know, White Houses and Danger movies. Uh, I thought it was really kind of charming in its throwback to the diehard style of movie. It's quite good. You came out of it, it's like, oh yeah, that was very nostalgic, but well done. You know, you have the the 
Channing Tatum's always nice to look at running around the White House and Jamie Foxx was funny enough as his sidekick president and it really it, it just it was it was a throwback to the Die Hard days and I thought it was you know well like the pacing was it didn't go too long it didn't make, well I mean it's a long movie but the pacing was so like it wasn't too bad uh, you had the uh, the bad guy really seemed like an XP from The Rock because he was uh, the military retired military who has a noble cause he's doing this for kind of for his country kind of thing at least that's what it feels like so it, you know it had that so it was a it was a charming in the action flick way of being charming <laughs> it's a roland demerick movie you, you get yeah. what you get with you get what you get it, it was like that but these movies it just i think they try did did Die Hard 5 make its money back? Because it came and went, and I completely missed it. Hang on a sec. Uh, see, 92 million, worldwide 304, but I mean, domestic did not make the money back. Worldwide did. Yeah, but that's how most of these movies make, make their money, the money back anyway. I think Pacific Rim is going to do amazingly worldwide. Oh, yeah, it's got the Asian market pat down. That's where the real money is right now. Yeah, exactly. Um... But it just, it really is a disappointment because I was hoping that it would just prove to everybody, yes, the original movie, because it's just so well done. I feel like a lot of the studios are now just going to continue to play even safer than they were before, if that's even possible. I There's an LA Times article on what Disney are now going to do in the aftermath of Lone Ranger, and it's basically just stick to what they've been doing. And it's just the worst idea possible. Mm. You know, the Lone Ranger was supposed to be their guaranteed hit. It's not even close. Right. You know, I think TV is where the risky cinematography is taking place now. Wouldn't you agree? At this point, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, Guillermo Navarro, who does the cinematography for Pacific Rim, is working on a, a show we quite like. Right. <laughs> Alina, you have to watch it. I know, I will. <laughs> You're not watching it? No. No, you... she's just been enjoying our flails. <laughs> we are speaking, of course, of Hannibal. Which is going to have its own episode, which I'm just going to moderate because due to geographic restrictions, Silence of the Lambs was not my entire childhood. <laughs> so I'll be the impartial observer for that one. Don't you worry, guys, it's coming. And so is Cleo Linda. And it's going to be a, an angle of fees extravaganza. I promise. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. But I just not- feel like Kaylee is looking incredibly betrayed at her computer screen right now. <laughs> I did go a little bit wide-eyed. I can't imagine anyone's child who didn't I promise I'll, I'll probably marathon the first season just so I'm conversant in the thing. I'm already conversant because Tumblr fills me in. I know the mushrooms are people. <laughs> I have got at least four people to watch the show based solely on the fact that they can't escape it on Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Mad said that they were going to take us all out for a beer. Is the beer people? Who cares? Mad's yeah, giving us be. beer. We don't care. It's Matt Mickelson buying beer. You know, we all still have to watch A Royal Affair. We're bad, Mad. I've seen I have it. On I bought it with the birthday vouchers that Raiden got me. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. I've seen it. I love how he dances. Mm. It's beautiful. <coughs> the other thing we're also doing uh, that has to do with how good TV is now is we're going to do an episode on all the upcoming fall shows because some of them look amazing. 
Some of them look amazing, and it's it's geek-tastic this year. It really is. We have everything from Dracula to being human. No, it wasn't being human. It was uh, the other thing. Carl Urban and Robots. Carl Urban, yes. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. Almost yeah. human. Almost yeah, human. Carl Urban on my TV every <laughs> week? Yes, please. Sold. <laughs> yes, please. And then there's Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> then there's Sleepy Hollow. Which, which... is going to be amazing. Sleepy Hollow had had me at that one line in the trailer where he goes, that is a Starbucks now, yes? But there was one down the street, yes? Is there a law? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're definitely going to have... We're going to have such exciting episodes about TV because this is what movies are doing to us. They're, they're way going safe. Now, of course, we're talking about being safe in franchises. It's not like we want the Avengers franchise to be over. We're happy. Right. But also, it's not like we're franchise averse, but there is a point where we just... There's there's fatigue. And right. I think that the, the number, some of the numbers you see here kind of back that up. Although the fact that there are so many really successful sequels in the top 10 box office might say otherwise. Oh, uh, speaking of franchises, this isn't a summer blockbuster, but it's quietly out right now, Before Midnight. Movie 3 in the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset mm-hmm. franchise. Yeah. Starring the I same believe it's now the lowest grossing trilogy of all time in a film, or one of them. <laughs> you know I think it's brilliant. I I love Before Sunrise. There was just something about it that was the, exactly the romantic movie that does everything for me. So I don't know if I'll see it in theaters. I think I'll definitely see it. I hope... Uh, I, I have heard that it has gotten good reviews from, you know, the fans of the, the franchise. It's so weird to think of Before Sunrise as a franchise, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what has Ethan Hawke have even been doing with his time? Isn't he in The Purge? Which is also oh, yeah, one of the top right. 20 most successful movies of the summer. Right. Oh, he wrote Before Midnight. So, so did Julie Delpy. They wrote it together. They wrote all three of them. Oh, so were they, it was kind of like their pet project? Yeah. I think that's why they work, because they clearly know these characters inside out and how they would react to everything and how they would interact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the most the movies I've not seen before midnight, but the other two, it's mostly them just sort of walking around talking. Exactly. And it shouldn't be gripping, and it is. It's brilliant. So go watch them. <laughs> summer franchises. Right. <laughs> I and... I never. Here's my greatest summer regret. I never got around to much ado because I had the oh. big trip to Florida, oh. kind of in the middle of it being in theaters, and I didn't make it. So I'll have oh. to wait till it's out. You have to come down to Boston because we still have it. We didn't. It closed the Thursday Pacific Rim came out and I was like I do not have time for these two. No, basically Much Ado was perfect and Dogberry was the role that Nathan Fillion was born to play. Everything else has been warm up up to this point. (laughs) Damn it. I'm seeing it the moment it's out on on demand or wherever it's going to reappear next. I promise. (laughs) I feel ashamed. You, you I haven't seen it either because it hasn't come out here yet. I was in Florida. I was playing magic and doing geeky things. Oh, like I care. <laughs> like that's important. Oh, yes. Update on the the, the geeky things in my life is uh, last month, Alina went to Florida to Grand Prix Miami and for Magic the Gathering. See, I'm not a fake geek. I'm like Raiden. I'm actually real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that to burn. <laughs> yes, I shall get some aloe, except that I'm terrified of the I'm the one who needed aloe because I got sunburned in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I'm terrified of the aloe plant we have in our living room. It it looks like Cthulhu. I'll post a picture of it for everybody, and you can agree with me that it this aloe plant is kind of terrifying. More. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, so is this like so, were these our summer blockbusters for a summer? Um, I think. Elysium is still coming out That's this summer. Right. We, we haven't talked about the one coming up. So Wolverine and Elysium. Yes. Wolverine, we, we had a trailer for Wolverine before Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. And seriously, like the entire subtext of the trailer was, this one doesn't suck, we promise. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, Elysium, I'm excited about because let's talk a little bit about it. It is by one of the directors of District 9. And if you watch the trailer, it's very obviously in that same vein of sci-fi social commentary. Mm-hmm. A social commentary about class issues, specifically. Uh, so, District 9 was, you know, uh, that, that kind of... What Guillermo Tesoro said, I'm not doing Ibsen with mm-hmm. robots, but District 9 decided they were going to do, you know, highbrow concepts, but with aliens. <laughs> yeah, it was apartheid with aliens. It was apartheid with aliens, so... Elysium is really in that kind of same vein. You don't have aliens, you just have spaceships and mass spaceships and you have the one percent and the occupied movement. By Elysium, basically. Pretty much. So Um with Matt Damon, who you know, I'm just so pleased with how Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have managed their careers. (laughs) It just makes me happy. Ben Affleck's going to do the Gone Girl movie. Excellent. Mm. He's starring in it. It's being directed by David Fincher. Mm. Okay. So he hasn't done, gone completely over to I'm just going to direct now part of his career. No, I think he I think he's capitalizing fun. very hard on the fact that people like him now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would be. I would be out there getting everything if I was Ben Affleck. So uh, aside from Matt Damon, Elysium is also going to star uh, Jodie Foster as the bad mm-hmm. guy. And yep. Charles Copley, and anything that gets him work, I'm happy with. Which so, is one of the main reasons I support the Old Boy remake as well. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the trailer for that genuinely looks really good. Yes. I feel like, hasn't there already been an Old Boy remake? Like, I feel like there's at least two movies, two Old Boy movies. Well, it was never a particularly dazzlingly original concept to begin with. It was just the way that it was executed. No, no, there's only been one. That's That is so weird, because I could have sworn. There was an old boy remake of the Korean film already. Could have sworn I, that's that's so strange. What was I thinking of then? Huh? It was a manga, wasn't it? It was a manga. Um, and then there was the 2003 Korean movie. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, people. I don't have these facts in my head because I am actually a fake geek girl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Constant vigilance. Shun. Shun. But yeah, I I could like I had this idea that it, it had already an Ameri- like very close to the Korean movie that had an American remake, but apparently it didn't, so I'm completely wrong, and therefore fake. That's right. Everybody mark down this date. Alina said she was wrong. <laughs> I love you, honey. Love you <laughs> too. Don't this evidence. <laughs> Don't test me. I will spoiler something for you. We've spoken about this. We, we have. And... 
that presupposes that I care a lot. <laughs> oh. So, okay, so the old, so we spoke about Elysium. Now, Wolverine, are we going to go see Wolverine? We're going to go see. Probably not. I just don't care. But Hugh Jackman, he touched my hand. We have a connection. I cannot let him down. What? What? Rewind, rewind, go back, go back. What? Uh, I'm one of the, the lucky few people in the front row of Hugh Jackman's one-man show when he came to Toronto. And at some point during the show, he high-fives the entire front row. Why did you keep this from us? Why? What is this? It's not a secret. You? It's just it's been a couple of years now. But yeah, he was into my husband. And I really we just said, you know what? This is a splurge. We will get the best tickets. We want to do this. So we were front row looking up at him. He comes down to the aisle a lot, like serenades the people sitting there, and then he high fives us. And the show is awesome. He's doing a second one now. And if it ever comes in Toronto, I'm seeing it because he he's amazing on stage. You guys, you have to understand, he really is a great performer on stage. And it's such, and he makes such an intimate evening. And we actually even got a bonus because uh, Carrie F- um, Fisher was in the audience because she was opening her show like the next night. So she was in the audience and like he called out to her and she stood up and it was great. It was an amazing experience. I can't believe you don't open with that story. Hi, my name's Alina, and I Alina, and I Yes, exactly. <laughs> I would get a badge or a T-shirt made with Hugh Jackman touch me. <laughs> That's our vaguely ambiguous statement. Touched all of us. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been touched by Hugh Jackman. <laughs> um, isn't he like? I think I read somewhere. It's he's played Wolverine more times than any other actor has played a superhero, a, a specific character, like more times than Tony Tony Stark's been played by Robert Downey Jr., for example. Uh, yeah, because what he's this if you count five. First Class, was he right? in First Class? Which yeah. they do. That'll be six movies, right? Rebecca Romaine and he were both uh, secret cameos in First Class. Remember? Oh, okay. I I haven't seen. He that. has one line in First Class. That line is "fuck you." Awesome. Oh, okay, well that counts. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> he was a real. You know what? I wasn't spoiled for the cameo either. I think they kept uh, kept it under wraps really well somehow. Hmm. Um. But yeah, he's played. So he has the three X Men movies, then Wolverine Origins, then X Men First Class, and now Wolverine. T- the Wolverine that pretends the first Wolverine never happened, right? Yeah. That's six movies. Yeah, and Roberts. But the thing about Iron Man, five. do you count his um, cameo after like after credits cameo? In uh, in the Hulk. In the Hulk, yes. Oh. Yeah, if you're gonna count fuck you, then you count the after credits cameo, and that still only brings so him up three to Iron five. Mans, one Avengers, and yeah, and that's and the Hulk is, is five. Yeah, and that only brings it up to five. So Hugh's still winning. <laughs> that that Charlie Sheen is actually winning. <laughs> Oh, poor Charlie Sheen. Nothing. Oh yeah, I feel so sorry for him. <laughs> Not winning. He he flew into Scotland recently. They let him into my country. I saw you tweeting about that. Why is he in? He went to hunt for the Loch Ness monster. What? What? Okay, that's a thing that happened. Why we is this not the country. story we led this this episode? 
Well, we're trying to keep this hidden. We don't want to admit that we actually let him across the bloody ocean in here. Is she, is this a documentary? Is this going to f- be filmed and be available to us at some point? Kaylee, I think you have a sacred duty. <laughs> I think your sacred duty is you need to go to Loch Ness and you need to get the monster to fucking eat him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could get the monster. I guess I could just get some of the locals to attack him. We could have some sort of like wicker man staging. Instead of having a virgin, we just need a wife beater. Sold. Oh, oh my god. <clears throat> so so that is a thing that is happening in the world today. <laughs> and this is why a friend of mine on Tumblr said that I was an unusually violent Hufflepuff. <laughs> Honey Badger, don't give a shit. <laughs> Honey Badger will fuck your shit up. Although I think I'm really a Ravenclaw, but I will still fuck your shit up. <sighs> did Did you see that picture on Tumblr of badgers flooding somebody's backyard? Yes, the Hufflepuff. <laughs> oh, Tumblr! Even with Yahoo's takeover, has not yet been completely ruined. Although it's heading there. That was big geek news last month, wasn't it? Was that last month? Was oh, was that two months ago now? I don't know. Yes, Yahoo bought Tumblr for like one point something billion dollars, and which has resulted in uh oh. Kaylee, are you back? Are we there? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. So Kaylee apparently actually went to Loch Ness. Good job. <laughs> she, your wish is her command, Raiden. <laughs> That's excellent. We were just talking about the... Have, I think this happened before we filmed our last episode. At the very least, we weren't going to interrupt Shannon to talk about uh, the Tumblr takeover. But as, as Tumblr is the place where fandoms congregate, so this is kind of important geek news. That it has been taken over by the corporate power, by the man. Where the, the woman man. and the woman is, is doesn't things. really know what to do with it, and they don't seem to be doing anything with it. Just fine. Just don't do it. Just anything. fine. <laughs> well, I have seen some photo sets come back with you know photo removed for violation, and there was a big outcry. So I think maybe they stopped mm-hmm. because they realized they're going to lose the audience they paid money for. Yeah. Well, then again, look at what they did to Delicious. They essentially gutted that out to the point where no one uses it. So I think maybe they've sort of learned their lesson from that. I hope so. Maybe. Oh. Hope dies last. As we Russians like to say, we are an optimistic people at heart. We do not understand. No, we don't, because you never indicate that that's true. Ever. Well, have you seen the news coming out of Russia lately? Can you blame me for being depressed? No. Ah, so this was the Anglophies rundown of the summer blockbuster. We had one which made us supremely happy, you know, even two. We'll open it up to Iron Man 3 and Pacific Rim. But somehow, overall, it's leaving me lukewarm. So, so what, what makes the summer blockbuster a thing? I suspect that part of it is Teenagers. that... Well, there's teenagers with disposable income, no, and no there's sp- two hours you can sit in air conditioning and not do anything. Yeah, that's important. <clears throat> and it's just sort of the time for the the production designers to drop acid and 
people let everything rip. And for the studios, this is the time supposedly where they are to make enough money with their their tentpole productions in order to fund the supposedly fund their smaller movies. The Oscar bait, <laughs> right? Although, from what um, recently Steven Spielberg and George Lucas both came out and said that this was a hugely problematic model, which meant that they couldn't get films like Lincoln made because there wasn't enough money in it. Although I find it highly hilarious and hypocritical of them to suddenly bemoan blockbusters when they've you know kind of gutted the industry of the seventies by creating the blockbuster trend. <laughs> yeah. There's a brilliant quote by William in Easy Riders of Aging Bulls where he talks about Star Wars and um, Jaws and the summer blockbusters and what they made. And he said, Star Wars swept all the chips off the table. What happened with Star Wars was like when McDonald's got a foothold. The taste for good food just disappeared. <laughs> but I think that's entire that is very unfair because, you know, Star Wars isn't an objectively brilliant movie, but I do love it. Mm-hmm. But the way that the industry has changed since then, I think that we have got to the point where they won't take a risk on a summer blockbuster because they're afraid that what they'll get is a Pacific Rim, which mm-hmm. is a great movie with great word of mouth, but the numbers aren't there to back that up. Yeah. I but then to... when they play it entirely safe, you get the Lone Ranger. Yeah. So. Well, here's uh, we touched on this um, before we started recording, and we were discussing why is in a movie like Pacific Rim, as we've said, it's going to make its money. It's going to make it in Asia and other countries. And a lot of the movies which were considered flops actually made tons of money, just not in the U.S. market. Why does the studio care where the money comes from? Because the world revolves around America? Apparently. Well, that's true. It's, it seems strange for them to turn their back on movies which do make them tons of cash, just because they say, well, the cash isn't coming from where I care. What You know, if you're a businessman, do you really care where the income comes from? It it It's not something I understand. I mean, we, we, we need somebody who is something like a film studies major who knows the industry to sit, sit us down and explain to us. Why do you give a shit? Yeah, why? <laughs> I think the yeah. studios themselves are very quick to write their own movies off as flops as well. Look at how Disney treated John Carter. Which technically wasn't a flop. It made its money back. It made more than its money back in the international market. The movie was barely out and the studios were sort of writing it off. Before it was out because it didn't even bother marketing it. How many how many studios kill their movies? They make them, then they get scared of them and, you know, kill them by not marketing them. Right. I mean, and even Pacific Rim was delayed for almost a year, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And which surprised yeah. me when I heard about it, but it was actually ready to open something like last year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it really is, you know, I will never understand the mind of a movie executive. It's probably for the best. <laughs> I think Disney I think... needs to take a long, hard look at what it's doing because they have decided to play it so safe to a formula that they're kind of guaranteed a mess now. The thing with John Carter, which is based on a book called A Princess of Mars, was like, oh, well, people won't want to see aliens and sci-fi, but they won't want to see if it's got a woman's name in the title either. So we'll call it John Carter. Which is no a name that says nothing. Right. Yes. And then they're doing this now with the Snow Queen movie, which is now called Frozen. Although I'd rather they called it Frozen because it has oh, nothing to do with Snow Queen. Yeah, it has to do with Snow Queen. Okay. I'm so angry over that. Thank. <sighs> I have met somebody else I can rage over this with because I saw the preview <laughs> and flames, flames on the side of my face. <laughs> I do not know what that is, but Snow Queen, it's not. 
and I'm I hate to be that person that's always like you know the the Russian the genius Russian uh, cartoon makers of you know the mid twentieth century did it better, but they really did. Are you gonna provide us a link to that somehow? I'm sure it's all up on YouTube. I will. Okay. Good. But certain, but you know, it's not. It's. Uh, I know that's what Disney does. It butchers fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At yeah. least well, the Little Mermaid. Might be a focus group. <laughs> at least the you Little Mermaid's beginning with... had something to do with the story. This doesn't look like it has anything to do with Snow Queen. I mean, the thing that we all got with you know Tangled. I mean, the name change is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The thing is that, that that film itself is actually a relatively faithful adaptation of Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right down to the magical tears. That's something that happens in that yes. tale. This version of Frozen maybe it is more close, but the fact that they've eliminated a very female-heavy story, which wasn't about romance, which wasn't about you know finding your prince, and they've turned it into you know this assembly line project with the talking snowman thing, rock. I don't know what it is. I think you know, and it is it's cringy. <laughs> It is, and I don't know, it seems like they sucked all the soul out of it, even aside from the fact that this was basically a story about a heroine, a girl who goes out there to save her friend and undergoes incredible hardship to do so. Um, but they really, I don't know, what were they afraid of the female protagonist? Even if we take that out of it, it's just, it wasn't good enough for them. Oh, it just makes me angry. I know it's, it's not. She's a more marketable protagonist if they make her the the princess model. It's not saying she'll automatically be a bad character if she's a princess. Disney have done wonders with some of their characters. It's just that to take one of the few instances where Hans Christian Andersen wasn't being hugely misogynist mm-hmm. and just revert back to the sort of <laughs> there's also... 30s model of women for them, it's really sad. There's mm-hmm. a funny story about the Snow Queen in my family in that. Um... I, my understanding is it's not really that popular in um, America among Anderson stories. I don't know how popular it is in, in Great Britain, but it is very popular in Russia. And when my brother was very little, my mom took him to a children's theater stage production of it. And apparently the Snow Queen's entrance was so scary. You know, the lights dim, there was dramatic music, and then she appears. And it terrified my brother to the point where he screamed. Aww. And she had to take him out of the audience. But the funny part is, is that he had such a mental aversion to the story. It's the only fairy tale he hasn't read his own kids. Oh, he hates it. <gasps> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it really is, you know, the the cartoon which I will link is is so good that I don't know. Like I, I don't mean to be a snob, but it's hard to see somebody do something badly when you've seen it done well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same. And I understand that Disney is gonna make it Disney, but I, from the previews, I really feel like they've they've they really haven't respected the spirit or the soul of the story, which really is quite beautiful. And that's a little upsetting. Yeah. And it's sad that we predict Disney to be Disney, and in this instance, it means entirely stripping it of any sort of female worth. Right. Like they did with Oz the Great and Powerful, which I recently saw about half of, and I'm so, so mad. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. <laughs> I feel justified in my, my grumpy at it when we recorded our, um, our episode on fairy tales. <laughs> when I said... It looks like that they have taken one of the few female-centric stories in kind of our cultural lexicon and made it about a dude. Oh, they do worse than that. 
And his magical penis. And his magical penis. And made the women terrible. was one of the great feminist writers of his time. The man was a massive feminist. His mother-in-law was one of the great leaders of the suffragist movement in America. He does these really incredibly complex female characters who aren't obsessed with romance. I think he actually mentioned that he wanted romance explicitly out of his kids' books. And Oz the Great and Powerful turns into the charisma vacuum James Franco saving everyone because it's prophesied, despite the fact that there are three witches who can blow shit up with their hands mm-hmm. but can't do anything because it's not prophesied. Right. Oh, because and blonde equals you're the good, great man. equals bad, and ugly well, equals evil. Right. And you're the great man we've been waiting for. You know, they couldn't have just made a cinema adaptation of Wicked. Wicked is extremely political. I would love to see that. That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, Wicked is also extremely, um, like, it's, it's in the pop culture now. The songs from it. And it was so popular. So when, if they were doing another film in that universe i'm I'm really amazed that they had they chose not to do a wicked and instead went for for this oz the great and powerful i'm not because they'd actually have to like make a movie about not only one strong female character but more than one (laughs) we can't have that that's ridiculous i hear ridiculous it is ridiculous there was a post going around Tumblr, the Weekend Man of Steel opened, saying, hey, if you want to go see a movie about women, you can't right now. The closest you can get is before midnight, and that is half of, it's 50% female-led. But all of, literally every other movie uh-huh. in the theaters right now is about men. And, and they're, they're all made by men. Yeah. And they're all made by men. One Where was superhero this? movie has been made by a woman. One. And it was one of the Punisher movies. Mm-hmm. Punisher Warzone, which was directed by Lexi Alexander. Otherwise, they're all directed by men. Did you Do you remember, guys, um, and this was, everything's on Tumblr, but Amy Adams giving the biggest side-eye to the fact that there was no action figure? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes she gives me life. <laughs> she was like, you know, the fact that she's a badass investigative reporter who'll fly to the North Pole and to the outer space and all that apparently does not merit an action figure. Side of like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, take one of the most iconic women in comic books and in pop culture in general, but nope, she isn't worth anything. Of course not. Yeah. There's um, a funny confluence of, of Tumblr posts recently that led me to see these two GIF set side by side, and it's kind of depressing. One was from an uh, it was an interview with Helen Mirren in the seventies, I think nineteen seventy five. And that where <laughs> the, was that the Parkinson one? No, it's the one where the no, it's the says, boobs one. <laughs> yeah, she's being interviewed by Michael Parkinson. Right. The interviewer basically asks her, "Do you find it hard to be a serious act- actress because of your big boobs?" And then, and then, within that same day, another GIF set popped up on my Tumblr, and that was an interview. Uh, or a quote, actually, from um, Scarlett Johansson going, you know, it's great to know that I spent years building up my career on carefully selected indie movies just to be voted greatest boobs by People Magazine. Yeah. And 30 years, nothing's changed. Lovely. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson's thrown around some beautiful sass in her interviews. I mean, whenever they talk about actually, you know, her and the Avengers, it's just, well, what did you have to do to get into that outfit? Oh, did God, you have to that was still an the... exercise? Right. Dumbest and she's question. like, 
why do the boys get the questions about character motivation? I get rabbit food. Yeah. Was... And you have Anne Hathaway being asked about the special diet she went on to get into the cat suit. And she's like, do you, do you, do you, Mr. Interviewer? Because of course it was a dude. Do you need tips on losing weight? Should we talk about this? Yeah, that was hilarious. That was so amazing. And the interview's like, no, 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 I'm just asking. She's like, well, you seem so concerned about this. Do we need to talk about about your weight issues? That was so funny. Oh, good for them for turning it around, showing how absurd it is. Are we getting a Black Widow movie? (laughs) You're funny. You're, yeah. You're hilarious. It's hysterical. (laughs) I want one. Hollywood. Okay, we have been successful in getting a release date for Much Ado, even if not everybody took advantage of it, Kaylee. Not Kaylee, Alina. Alina. Yes. I Wait, have... You're so sorry. quick to blame me for everything. <laughs> I do just like to blame you for everything. It's a habit. I'm sorry. But in this case, you didn't do it. It was Alina. <laughs> sorry. I, I have failed the sisterhood. You have. <laughs> you have. But yeah, no, we won't ever get a Black Widow movie. Probably not. I would just like Probably. to see some blockbusters actually helmed by women or helmed by female filmmakers because they seem practically non-existent. I mean, the, the closest we have is is Catherine Bigelow, but she's really not a blockbuster maker. She's a yeah. That's all right. Stephanie Meyer is producing I... movies now. Remember? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we got a trailer for Austin Land. It doesn't look that bad actually. Awkward. I mean, the book is insufferable, but. Yeah, that's a long awkward pause. I'm going to be leaving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, There's an irony alarm going off somewhere. Yeah. I mean, if if you think about it, I can think of three action adventure movies that have had female protagonists. All of them star Angelina Jolie. Hmm. Two of them are the Lara Croft movies, and the other one is Salt, which I really enjoyed. Which and was I wish about a man, and then she just got cast in the role. And the, right. And the character got which named. is sometimes a, a problematic way of approaching the particular problem, but sometimes not. Mm-hmm. And I I rather enjoyed Salt, and I kind of wish that it, it, it had taken off, but I'm you know not surprised that it didn't. Mm-hmm. We also have the ultimate example of this, which is Sigourney Weaver and Alien and Aliens. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but, but the fact of... that there's a gap between Sigourney Weaver to Angelina Jolie, I think, signifies a lot. But speaking yeah. of Angelina Jolie and uh, movies coming out and Disney, Maleficent. Oh, my I don't God. want this movie. Give me, just shut up and take my money. <laughs> I'm kind of... So this will be a summer blockbuster next year because it's slated for July. Mm-hmm. I still don't know... Where, where is this going to fit? Is this going to be a, a children's Disney summer movie, or, you know, it, do are they aiming kind of for to entice adults in it? Is she going to be the tragic misunderstood <laughs> villain protagonist? It's oh, I don't I, particularly want them to make Maleficent a uh, a sympathetic protagonist. I like the fact that she is a yeah, woman driven like entirely by spite. Yes. Exactly. She's the bad fairy who you insulted. And when you insult the bad fairy, your shit gets fucked up. That's what happens. You didn't invite her to your party, so she's going to kill your child. <laughs> I don't need any more than that. Yeah. Do you, do you kind of feel like it's going to be the next Snow White and the Huntsman? And by the way, there's Shut apparently going to be the next Snow White and the Huntsman. Because 
that's a franchise we need more of. Uh, yeah. They fired it was, it was so dull. Who would they cast in place of her? Oh, is she going to be in the movie? I thought it's just the Huntsman now. Oh. Of course she was not it, didn't they, there was like some confusion and then she did actually sign into it. Hang on I a thought sec. she got fired from it after that whole yeah, that was all her fault, of course, bloody woman. Uh-huh. Can't get over the fact Kristen Stewart's the same age as me. Um <laughs> oh. so she signed on to it. Okay. On. So that's what we're looking for forward to next summer in in the blockbuster i think the the thing about the avengers franchise it's i think it's keeping my summers alive mm-hmm. would you like a rundown of 2014 blockbusters that are coming out yes go ahead captain america the winter soldier vo2 transcendence which is wally fister's movie he's the cinematographer for christopher nolan mm-hmm. so that one could actually be very interesting but there's no details being released on that one at all mm-hmm. so keep your eyes on that the amazing spider-man 2 Godzilla. I'm actually willing to give some leeway to Godzilla because it's being directed by Gareth Edwards who did a movie called Monsters, which is brilliant. He did all the effects for it on his own computer and it looks stunning. So I'm, I'm giving that a break. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Adam Sandler comedy starring Drew Barrymore called Blended. Step away from the one there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Jurassic Park 4. How to Train Your Dragon 2. Transformers 4. Maleficent. Fast and Furious 7. X-Men Days of Future Past, Guardians of the Galaxy, and The Expendables 3. When is Snowpiercer coming out? I don't know. I think that one's already out in Asia, so... Uh, yeah, it's released... Okay, according to Wikipedia, August 1st, 2013, South Korea, but I guess they have to dub it for... Even though, isn't 80% of it in English? For those of you confused right now, there is there's a trailer out on the internet. It's by a... Korean director, but it has a lot of Hollywood actors. Chris Evans is a star. Uh, and it's a dystopian future where Earth is now covered in ice. We're in another ice age. And Snowpiercer is a massive train. And there's a class system, and it's a class struggle oh. on a train. It's a lithium on a train, somehow. Oh, I saw a thing for that. So we're going to, I'm going to find the link to the uh, the trailer, link it in the show notes. It, it looks like it could be one of those amazing indie sci-fi movies. Tilda Swinton is in it. Yes. Um, it's wrapped up, so it's done. I guess they are releasing it in South Korea this year. I can't. I hope it gets an American release soon because I the really Weinsteins want... The have secured the distribution rights, so they're going to push it hard. Excellent. Good. Excellent. Excellent. So that is hopefully something in the sci-fi blockbuster genre that we can look forward to. It does look Ooh, pretty Lee Pace is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Haven't... As is Karen Gillan. Yeah, she just got that. Just well, got announced. <laughs> Wasn't the story was that Lee Pace was up for kind of the starring role and he didn't get it, but they loved him so much they wanted him to be in the movie. Everyone loves Lee Pace. Oh come on, yeah. it's impossible. Oh, guess what, listeners? Raiden is watching Pushing Daisies now. Resenting the fucking shit out of it. <laughs> Awkward silence. What? I'm not. Why? I'm not upset. What are you saying? I'm saying that I have such heavy squee aversion to this show that I 
gotten so sick like for six years people are like oh my god this is the best show ever you have to watch it you're a terrible person if you don't that i'm like fuck you i do what i want and now i am watching it to get a sense of the wider fuller verse but i'm resenting the fact that i have to fight through my squee aversion like i see why people like it and i see in a different universe i would like it but mostly, I'm resenting it. You are no longer my friend. Yes, well, it's like you never knew me. Sad funereal music <laughs> will be inserted here to indicate my feelings about my friendship with Raiden. It is now an ex-friendship. It is fighting for the fjords. I a picture to illustrate my feelings. <laughs> now, what, of course, our listeners may not be aware of is I'm the one who edits this, <laughs> so it's probably going to be, like, triumphant trumpets or something. A big brass swell. So, yeah. Raiden, you just remember the depths to which I'm willing to sink to make my friends suffer. <laughs> How much I'm not have you punning. Seen? It's not like I'm Kevin. <laughs> How much of the show have you seen, Raiden, of Pushing Days? I've, I've finished season one. Okay. And you're still resenting it? I'm resenting the shit out of it. And this is my problem and not anybody else's. But, duh. It's kind of like how I feel about Princess Tutu at this point. <laughs> like, I, I want nothing to do with the show. <laughs> Because I just need people to shut the hell up. <laughs> Someday, before on this podcast, I will get Raiden to admit how much she loves pushing daisies, if it is the last thing I do. <laughs> this is going to be a very long run of podcasts, so yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> we're going to be doing podcasts forever. <laughs> so those are our summer blockbusters. I think I'm looking forward to next year's more than a, uh, you know, the well, it's it's kind of hard because I remember being so in anticipation of, say, Iron Man three, mm-hmm. and actually, and 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 also Man of Steel, which which you know didn't want me as much, but um, Pacific Rim lived up to our expectations, so uh, you know, and then it some, go out. see it, go see it, guys. This is this is the one thing to take away from this episode is please go see Pacific Rim. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's Power Rangers on acid. That's the whole point. <laughs> it's robots versus monsters, and it's done it awesome. Yes, yes. You there need to keep elk- Guillermo del Toro in work, people. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all we ask. That's all we ask. Think of all the movies this man has had to have cancelled. Give the man a break. Yes. We're not getting a Lovecraft movie because you people wouldn't want to see it, apparently. <gasps> Oh my god, if they did a Lovecraft movie with this... Oh, oh, people, it is your job to make it happen. Yep. <laughs> so, this has been episode 10 of Anglophies. Saying, saying goodbye to the summer blockbuster and hello to Oscar bait season. Now, Oscar bait season doesn't really start up until December. We get the, the fall... But in between, we'll have a lot of great TV. We'll have a lot of great TV. The... F- it's not quite the post-award season, let's just shove all the shit here that we don't care about 
Fall is more like the somewhat arty, but we don't think it's really quite Oscar-worthy, maybe, type movies. That's what I think. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this has been episode 10. You can email us at anglofees at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at anglofees. I know a lot of you do, but more if you could, if you wanted. We, we don't actually tweet that much, so it's not like your dash will get flooded. Maybe we should tweet more. <laughs> I don't know. And um, we will see you next month. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.